Welcome to Basic Christian Life. The teaching series within this podcast is a part of the Basic Discipleship Program. In Mark 8, 34, Jesus said, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Our hope is that this material will equip you with basic Bible truths that you can know how to effectively follow Christ. Now, let's join today's lesson. Hey, welcome to this episode of Basic Christian Life. And we're in session number seven, talking about temptation. Temptation. Temptation is an ever-occurring problem in the Christian life. I wish somebody would have told me that early in my Christian journey. For some reason, I had this expectation that once I became a Christian, I would become perfect. I would never struggle with a bad attitude again. I would never have a problem with my speech or my thoughts. I really didn't believe I would ever engage in any sin again, that the pull and the desire towards sin would go away. And certainly with sanctification, certainly with growth in the Christian life, we do get to the place where we experience levels of victory. Uh, We experience the control and the power of the Spirit of God in our lives and Old habits pass away and old sins uh, vanish and we we seem to to reach levels of spiritual maturity and growth. But at the same time, we have to be aware of this reality. There is no perfection until the resurrection. We read in Scripture that it has not yet appeared what we shall yet be. The power of And the penalty of sin has been broken in our life, but the presence of sin is still there in a way. And James said, we all stumble in many ways. We we indeed have the propensity to sin. Sometimes we feel like the old hymn writer who said, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. So as long as we live on planet earth, we'll have struggles with sin, promptings to think, say, and do things which displease God will arise from Satan, our own flesh, and from the world. And so as believers, we've got to be equipped. If we really want to live the Christian life, we have to be equipped to stand against temptation. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 12. It says, so whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. So so notice scripture, matter of fact, tells us temptation will come our way But it also reminds us God will give grace and he'll help us overcome. Now, I want to speak in this session under two subject headings that I I believe will help us face the tug of temptation. Let's consider two important concepts. First of all, I want you to be aware of the different types of temptation. The different types of temptation. Now, this is so critical Uh, Because I I really believe this, when we understand how Satan works, and when we understand his schemes, the scripture says, don't be ignorant of his devices, 
when we understand how Satan works, we've won half the battle. See, sometimes just being aware of what's going on disarms the enemy and enables us to overcome. Consider 1 John chapter 2, verse number 16. It says, everything in the world, and listen to what's in the world, three categories, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Now, it comes from the world. Scripture tells us, Jesus tells us that Satan, John's gospel, is the prince of this world, the ruler of this world. So notice what Scripture is saying. The devil, our archenemy, Satan, Lucifer, has this worn-out strategy. He has this same old, same old scheme where he tries to ensnare people with three things. Now, John uses the language, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions, Christian Standard Bible. Really, a better translation, a more literal translation, would be lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's life. Now, from those three categories, we see three areas in which Satan commonly tempts us. Three areas. Take note of these and be aware. Whenever you face temptation... Whenever you face sin, you can guarantee it'll be in one of these three areas. And so you got to be wise. you got to be ready to disarm the temptation. When you notice it for what it is, and you chase it all the way back to Satan's schemes, you'll be more equipped, more vigilant, more ready to put down temptation. So three areas. First of all, letter A, we see this area of pleasure. Pleasure. John calls it the lust of of the flesh. It's desires to fulfill the longings of our human body in a sinful way. Now notice this very important truth. There are desires within your flesh, within your body, that are given by God and aren't necessarily sinful. You have desires for food, correct? You have desires for drink, correct? You have desires, perhaps, for physical intimacy. You have uh, desires for rest and sleep. All of these things are God-given. But what does Satan do? What's his tactic? What's his strategy? He wants us to fulfill God-given desires in ungodly ways. He wants to pervert and twist God's original tent. So when it comes to food... He likes for us to abuse food, to use it in ways that goes beyond the Lord's intention. The Lord's given us food for energy, nutrition, and even enjoyment to a degree, but Satan wants us to overindulge, overenjoy, in order to damage our bodies and so that we won't be the vessels for the Lord that we could be. So food is an example of this. You think of physical intimacy. God created this wonderful thing for procreation, but also for enjoyment between a husband and wife. What does Satan do? He twists or he perverts. He loves to malign God's original intent for creation. So he's created cheap counterfeits. And people indeed fulfill that desire, maybe through pornography, inappropriate, unlawful, ungodly relationships, whatever. So this is Satan's scheme. Another thing we could see is that God's given us physical desire, healthy desire for rest. 
Don't you love to take a good nap sometimes? Don't you like your sleep in the evening? Don't you like your Sabbath, your vacation? Don't you love getting away for a while and unplugging? The Lord has commanded that in His Word. It's in the fabric of how, he, fabric of how He's created society. But get this. Satan always, always, always creates a counterfeit for God's original intent. So what has he done with rest? He's encouraged laziness. He's encouraged drug abuse, alcohol abuse, substance abuse that creates a sense of rest. All these things come from the lust of the flesh. You could read Genesis 3, 6 and see how the same temptation was present in the Garden of Eden. You could read Matthew 4, 2 through 4, and see how Satan tempted Jesus in this area. You could go back and read in the Old Testament when it comes to pleasure, and you could see how Satan tempted the kings of Israel with this. He tempted them to amass for themselves many wives, pleasure. So you see throughout biblical history and even throughout human history, that this temptation has always been present. So be on guard, be on the lookout. Sense, discern whether or not Satan's got your number in this area and be ready to stand on guard and through the power of the Holy Spirit to fight against ungodly pleasure. Secondly, we see that Satan tempts us in the area of possessions. John says that we're tempted in the area of the lust of the eyes. This is the idea that we see things And we want to possess them. We see money and material things. And we want them for ourselves. Cash. Cars. Hobbies. Houses. Trinkets. Toys. Looking at all these things through the eye gate, Jesus called it in the Sermon on the Mount. And we want them for ourselves. Now, this is perhaps the greatest American idol. Chasing after stuff. The Bible tells us that stuff has a way of blinding our eyes to the glory of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So get this, when you're living primarily for your bank account, when you're living first of all for your home or that vacation home, when you're living primarily for what you have instead of who has you, then your vision is not on Jesus as it ought to be. And he is robbed of the glory, the honor, the praise he deserves. And Satan loves to tempt people in this area. He knows it works. So he's been using this strategy since the Garden of Eden. Look at Genesis 3, 6 in the second part of that verse. He used this same temptation on Jesus, Matthew 4, 8 through 10. And he used this temptation with the kings of Israel. He tempted them to amass for themselves gold. So no, this is one of his tactics. And perhaps you've already been duped by it. Perhaps you're living for the things of the world instead of the things for the Lord. Be on the lookout. Be on guard. Recognize in your life if you're being tempted in this area. Recognize that discernment is half the battle. If you can see the enemy's schemes, you can be successful in your fight against temptation. Third, John teaches us that Satan often often tempts us in the area of pride. 
Here in the Christian Standard Bible, we read the pride in one's possessions. That's really not a good translation, in my opinion. Uh, The better translation literally is the pride of life. Whereas pleasure deals with sensual desires and possessions deals with materialistic desires, this word pride deals with egotistical desires. This is the act of living for what others think about you. The opinions of men. This is the fear of man instead of the fear of God. This is living for the praise of others. The applause of man instead of the applause of God. This is living for your recognition and your reputation. This is the old sin of Lucifer, Isaiah 14. Living for your own glory and your own fame and your own renown instead of living for the glory, fame, and renown of the Lord. Indeed, this is a temptation. We see it in Genesis chapter 3, 5. Satan threw the bait into the water and allured and enticed Eve with this very thing. And he did the same with Jesus in Matthew 4, 5 through 7. Go read those passages and then consider from Israel's history, the old temptation of the kings of Israel. Not only were they tempted in the area of women and gold, they also were tempted the area of amassing horses for themselves. Now, a horse, that may not seem like a big deal nowadays, but that was a show of strength and power in the ancient world. And the Lord warned the kings of Israel, don't amass horses for yourself. That basically demonstrates you trust in yourself instead of Yahweh, the one who has promised to give you the promised land and promised to give you a victory. So, friend, be on guard and recognize these three areas. Wherever you're struggling, wherever you're being tempted, be assured Satan's strategies are not new for you. He's tempting you either in the area of pleasure, possessions, or pride. And knowledge and awareness is half the battle. I can remember a few years back, I was really struggling with anger. I was eaten up with this sin. I was angry at an individual who had criticized me. This person had written a letter about what they didn't like about me and distributed to a number of people. And so I was angry. I was struggling almost with a form of anxiety, having angry thoughts in my mind and daydreaming and imagining of how I would like to get vengeance and how I would like to justify myself and defend my reputation. And I felt overwhelmed because I didn't know, like, why am I struggling with this? Like, what's at the root of this? I know it's wrong. I know what they said is incorrect. I know I have people who love me and support me. I know that they were being sinfully vicious and slanderous. Why am I having a hard time letting go? I shared my struggle with a friend and he said, I'll I'll tell you what's wrong if you promise not to get mad at me. I know what's at the heart of your struggle. Would you like to hear? I said, sure. Give me your best shot. I I want some help. I I, I need help. I, I need victory. I'm This is eating my spiritual lunch. I can't pray. I can't read my Bible. I'm on edge and ugly with my family. He said, well, I'll tell you what's wrong. You're not going to like this, but you have a pride problem. You are upset because you are so concerned about what people think about you, about your reputation. You are overly concerned in an unhealthy way. 
If you didn't have a pride problem, you would be able to let go a little bit easier. Now indeed, perhaps it was normal to be hurt. Anybody who's healthy should feel a little bit of sting when someone unjustly criticizes them. But I believe my friend was right. I was too concerned about my own ego and reputation. I was so concerned that it had become sinful. And guess what? When he uncovered that for me, I saw the root of my temptation and my sin, and it was almost like immediately I had victory. So I'm sharing this with you. If you want the victory, realize you've got to be able to walk your temptation back, discover which category it falls in, pleasure, possessions, or pride. And when you do that, with God's grace and the help of the Holy Spirit, you'll be on your way to victory. So understand types of temptation, but secondly, understand some tactics for temptation. We read in in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God is faithful. He'll give us a way of escape. And understand from Scripture, there are some ways in which we can fight against temptation. And indeed, we need to be on the offensive here. We can't be just reactive to temptation. If you're just in a passive mode when it comes to temptation, like I'll deal with it when it gets to me, then you're going to perhaps be overwhelmed and overcome. Consider the words of John Owen. We must be killing sin or sin will be killing us. We've got to be active. We've got to fight. We've got to be on the advance. We've got to employ some scriptural, biblical tactics for overcoming temptation. What are they? Number one, think about prayer. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane encourages disciples, pray that you enter not into temptation. Have you heard those words from Jesus? Recognize the Lord is telling us that prayer is an awful, awesome weapon in the war against temptation. He also in Matthew 6, 13, when he gave us the Lord's prayer, said this, we should pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then listen, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So notice that Jesus encourages us to regularly, if not daily, pray concerning temptation. So what does that mean? Well, sometimes I just pray that Lord's Prayer. This morning, I prayed the Lord's Prayer back to the Lord, asking Him to help me with temptation. But then what I also do, I have a prayer guide in the back of my Bible where I've made a list. I've listed out uh, right here on my prayer list areas in which I'm tempted, areas in which I struggle, and I take those to the Lord each day. I've got things on there with which I struggle where I'll say, okay, here I go. I'm going to pray for one minute or two minutes over this area. By doing that, I promise you, do it. By doing that, you're following what the Lord's told you to do and there's safety in following what the Lord's told you to do. When you do what He tells you to do, He's going to help you. And by praying over your temptation, you'll experience it. I've experienced it seems like out of nowhere, mysteriously, miraculously, the power of God is unleashed in your life and He gradually, not instantly, always, but gradually, incrementally, gives you victory over temptation. Prayer. Secondly, consider 
the role of Scripture in overcoming temptation. I think about Psalm 119, verse 11. Psalm 119, verse 11. A great psalm in which the psalmist talks about the power of God's Word. And he said in Psalm 119, 11, I have treasured your Word in my heart so that I might not, might not sin against you. Notice this, when you fill your heart, the place of your emotions, and you fill your mind, the place of your thoughts, with God's Word, you will be safeguarded against temptation. The Word of God in your soul and in your mind is like spiritual Kevlar to keep away the darts of the enemy. Some temptations will never reach your thought processes and never reach your passions if your thought processes and passions are soaked and saturated in God's Word. So get this, have a regular time for feeling, filling your mind with God's Word. You may read the Bible and think, well, I blew it. I read it this morning, at preacher in that discipleship series, Christian Life, told me to put God's Word in my mind, and I did it, and that evening I blew it. Well, don't give up. Keep at it. Have a lifestyle of filling your heart with God's Word, and it'll pay off after time. Realize Romans 12, 1 through 2, spiritual transformation comes by the renewing of your mind. So when your mind is gradually, incrementally, over the long haul, changed by God's Word, you'll change. You will have a different perspective when it comes to temptation. Furthermore, you will have the power of God through the Word of God in your heart and mind. Remember, the living of the, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it can transform you. Third, letter C, think about this when it comes to temptation. There is a need many times for safeguards. If you have an area in which you struggle, you need to be wise. You, you need to wise up. You need to get smart and put some safeguards in your life. I'll give you an example My wife loves chocolate. If there's chocolate in the house, she's going to eat it. Sometimes she's trying to cut back on chocolate because she knows it's not good for her or not good to consume a lot of it. So she'll say, honey, I know Valentine's Day is coming, but please don't buy me any chocolate. If it's in the house, I'll eat it. You know what she's doing? She's creating a safeguard. Now, Scripture encourages us to do this when it comes to temptation. Listen to Proverbs 22.3. It says, A sensible person sees danger and takes cover, but the inexperienced keep going and are punished. Notice what the wise person does. He or she recognizes when danger is coming and they make a plan. They guard themselves. That means for the person who struggles with alcohol, they don't go into a store that serves alcoholic beverages. They perhaps don't need to go to a party where there's an open bar. That means for the man who struggles with pornography addiction. Maybe he doesn't need a computer in a private place. Maybe he needs his wife to disable the internet browser and certain apps on his phone and set a passcode where he can't look at certain sites or apps. I remember when I counseled a young man one time, 
he had a struggle with pornography on the computer. And I encouraged him, hey, you've told me the computer is in the bedroom. It's a college student. It's in the dorm room, in your bedroom, where no one else sees. Put the computer out in a public place. I guarantee you'll be too ashamed to look at pornography out in that public room. His response was, I can't do that. My roommates will think I'm weird. They'll wonder, why did you move your computer? My response, I guess you don't really want victory over temptation. Realize this, biblically speaking, if you really want the victory, you'll put safeguards in your life. Safeguards. Lastly, think about this. There's a need for what I would call accountability. Accountability. Now that word accountability is not found in the Bible. There's many individuals who kind of don't like the concept of accountability, but I really think of it as a form of discipleship. This is an English word we use to describe something you see in Scripture. In Scripture, you see Jesus' disciples coming back to him after they served and giving a report to Jesus concerning how they had followed his commands. You see relationships in Scripture like uh, Paul and Barnabas. You see relationships in Scripture like David and Jonathan. You see instances in the Bible where one faithful believer is faithful to call another faithful believer on the carpet for some area of unfaithfulness or struggle. You see Paul doing that to Peter. He called him a hypocrite on one occasion. So there really is, when we examine Scripture, place for this thing we call accountability. Scripture teaches us in James 5.16 that we should confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. There's something powerful about having that person in your life who holds you accountable, who asks the tough questions, who, with whom you've been honest and told about your struggles. This is accountability, and it helps. It leads us to honesty. See, James tells us in the first chapter of James, when we are hearers of the word but not doers of the word, we deceive ourselves, James 1.22. So many believers glibly and gladly give in to temptation throughout the week, yet they think they're cool. They think they're living the Christian life because they go to church and maybe have a couple spiritual disciplines. But they never get serious about slander, gossip, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, lack of prayer, lust, materialism, deceit, exaggeration, and many other sins. But when you make a list of such sins and you engage accountability partner and you say, hey, on a regular basis, ask me how I'm doing in those areas, you set yourself, yourself up for the pursuit of honesty and humility in your Christian walk. So how does this work for me? I have an accountability partner I've had for several years, and we talk most Fridays. And our conversation in the morning starts with, how are you doing? How's your week been? And we have a natural conversation, but then we get down to brass tacks. We have a list of questions that focus on areas in which we're each tempted as men on a regular basis. We ask, how's your Bible reading? How's scripture memory? How are you doing with prayer? 
How are you doing with witnessing? Have you had inappropriate thoughts? Have you had any anger? Have you lied or exaggerated or slandered anyone? How are you doing managing your money? How are you doing managing your time, going to bed on time, getting up on time? How's your relationship with your spouse? How's your relationship with your children? How's your relationship with your parents, your in-laws? How are you doing with food and exercise? Those are just some of the questions we ask, but we do that on a weekly basis for three purposes. Honesty, we got to be honest about where we really are. I've discovered that I'm never perfect in any of those areas. I'm always struggling in some area. We also do it for humility. When you're real with someone, it humbles you. It assaults your pride. It makes you realize you're not perfect. And then we also do it for holiness. It encourages us to pursue holiness. So realize these things will help you. Prayer, scripture, safeguards, accountability. The Lord wants you to win over temptation because you'll experience more of Jesus' joy when you fight the good fight against temptation. And you will become more of what he wants you to be for his praise. It'll please him. And lastly, when you win over temptation, you'll be a sanctified vessel who will shine a bright light for Jesus in this dark world. So be killing sin, as John Owen said, for your own good, for the good of others, and for the glory of Jesus. Thank you for joining us today for our lesson on basic Christian life. Stay current with other episodes by subscribing to our podcast or visit us online at basicdiscipleship.net. If you have any questions about the materials presented in this lesson, or if you would like to give feedback, email us at info at basicdiscipleship.net. Thanks for listening.